Hello and welcome to Believe at Chelsea. This is episode number five that we are currently recording today. This is our first bumper episode. We have two games to cover today. And as a result of that, I've had to get in someone who I know has the expertise, the nous, and most importantly, the time to cover both games. Uh, again, you probably know her best for her amazing content on Twitter and her amazing content now with Chelsea Football Club. I know her best for having a husband who looks like Cesar Azpilicueta and also being an ex-Chelsea social um, uh, owner and one of my really good friends. It's Elizabeth. Elizabeth, how are you today? I'm good, Rob. I love that intro. Thank you so much and thank you for inviting me on. I'm excited to talk about the games. Yeah, I know. It's an absolute pleasure to have you on. And again, we'll also, as everyone has come on, will know there's also the minute, the minute and a half to win it quiz where the aim is just to try and not score zero like uh, uh like Sam from CFC Central did last week. It was a all right. Well, I'm glad there's a precedent for getting zero because that's what I'm going to get. Don't worry, so. you're going to at least be third in the leaderboard because there's only three people so far who've done it. Amazing. So you're going to at least be in the Champions League spots for now. But before we get on to that, we have the important things to discuss of two games, one win and one loss. And then also we have transfer deadline day and obviously that is swirling at this moment in time. So let's start off with the Leicester match. Obviously a 2-1 win for Chelsea. Overall, your thoughts on the game? Um, well, I thought that, well, obviously the, the big talking point from that game was the Conor Gallagher red card and a lot of people were saying, oh, why was he starting and, and Thomas Tuchel should have known better and and a lot of people calling for Connor not to start any matches and lo- just looking at Chelsea's midfield I feel like there weren't so many other options you had Kovacic who could only play 20 minutes uh and then maybe maybe you could have put Ruben off to chief but we're just missing so many players that when I look at Connor Gallagher play I see somebody who's been at the club since he's like eight years old and really wanted to impress and take his opportunity and he looked a little bit um overzealous I suppose is the word and he was making some rash challenges and yes they were two very silly uh fouls to commit especially the first one Kukurre didn't cover himself in glory for that pass that led to Gallagher committing the second foul and ultimately getting sent off but um for me, I still have high hopes for Conor Gallagher. I'd like to remind everybody that he was playing out of position. Hopefully, on deadline day, we'll assign a DM so that we can see Conor Gallagher playing further up the pitch where he's stronger. And then for the rest of the game, I was quite nervous as soon as he got sent off because uh, Chelsea were down to 10 men and I didn't know how we'd react. But I actually thought that we had a pretty strong reaction in that match and Raheem Sterling scored two two brilliant goals and assists by either wingback and Reese James and Marco Correa. And then uh, Chelsea conceded courtesy of Harvey Barnes and it was a very good strike. The last 20 or so minutes of the game, I felt that we looked shaky. Jamie Vardy had like two one-on-one opportunities that maybe if he was like in his prime Jamie Vardy a couple of years ago, he would have buried. So I could have easily seen this game going like um, 
2-2 or 3-2 to Leicester. They did have some good chances, and I felt that we had luck a bit on our side and some great defending by Thiago Silva. Uh, but I was happy with that performance because I thought that the team showed grit and really dug in deep uh, in this game. Mm. And yeah, that, I think that's a really good sort of nice summary and a good sort of, you know, a, a good sort of overview of the entire game. Obviously, also really pleasing to see Raheem Sterling get on the score sheet for his first two goals for Chelsea. Uh, the first one may be a little bit lucky and it took that slight nick and that looped it up and over the goalkeeper. But at times you need that little bit extra luck and you need that little bit of a sort of bonus, um, especially when you're down to 10 men. And the second one, obviously, a really well work passing move and he was very unlucky not to get a hat trick um obviously a couple of difficult games before that for Sterling certainly I think you know started well in the Leeds game but faded quite a lot and against Tottenham you know got an assist but I think he could have done a little bit more against Everton looked very very bright it it was nice to see obviously the monkey off the back of the first goals and I think he took both of them quite well yeah, I think so as well. And I think, like you said, sometimes you need a bit of luck, but he's not going to care about that. He, all he cares about is that the goal went in and it's going to be attributed to him. And sometimes uh, attackers just need that so that they can get off the mark. And I'm sure we'll talk about it. But then we saw him go and score again a very nice goal against Southampton. Uh, so he's looking like one of the attackers or he's looking like one of the only attackers right now that that could score week in, week out. Mm. Yeah, no, and I think that's one of the things with Sterling. Again, obviously, you never know with a new transfer, uh, how they're going to react and how they're going to do, but Sterling's pedigree speaks for itself. I think it was during, I think it was BT Sports said during the Southampton game that under Pep Guardiola, only Lionel Messi and Sergio Aguero had scored more goals um, for the manager than Sterling. When you consider... That also includes a period when Lewandowski was at Bayern Munich. They had Iron Robin and Frank Ribery in their pomp. He's had people like David Villa, uh, Pedro Rodriguez, who was you know so criminally underrated while at Barcelona. Um, other players at sort of Manchester City that have been consistently getting you know ten plus goals. Yaya Toure, um, Riyad Mahrez, for example. It sort of shows that I think you've got real, real quality in that, and I think that's you know one of the signings this summer that Chelsea can see as a real sort of boon and a real sort of positive. But obviously you sort of mentioned sort of clinging on a little bit. Um, I think it's worth talking a little bit about Edouard Mendy because there's been a lot of debate about Mendy recently. Um, you know, is it a loss of confidence? Is it a loss of form? Is it perhaps that, you know, he's maybe just going through his own sort of patch of bad form? Um, but obviously I think he, I personally think he should have done better with the Harvey Barnes effort. Um, but again, I'm very critical of goalkeepers. I don't think they should be beaten at the near post. And he did also make several very good saves to deny Vardy in the game. Do, do you think at the moment Mendy's problem is the fact that the defence in front of him is changing so much? Yeah, that's that's exactly what I was going to say. So I'm glad that you brought it up. I felt that last season, Mendy had more or less the same defence in front of him. And this season, 
we're seeing not only different defenders, well, we have new defenders in Kulavali and Kukorea, so those are two new players that he needs to try to get chemistry with. But then we're also seeing a change in formation, so sometimes there's five defenders on the pitch, sometimes there's four. The position of these defenders is going to be different based off of that formation as well. So I think that that is one of the key aspects that must be quite difficult, not just for Mendy, but for the players to deal with and get used to. And it's actually one of like the key points that I mentioned in my match review that I felt that we kind of need to, there's, it's one thing to be tactically flexible, but I feel like we're changing the formation like every game and we need to kind of pick one and get good at that one and stick with it. Mm. And maybe, I mean, Edward Mendy, you know, in the Leeds game, he had that fluff against Brendan Aronson and, um, he gets a little bit nervous like playing out of the back and Chelsea try to play off the back and it gives me (laughs) like a heart attack whenever that happens um so maybe he also might be low on confidence but I've seen a lot of people calling for Kappa to come in for example and for me I think that that would destroy Mandy's confidence even more personally I would give him a couple of more games like it's still the start of the season see if he gets up to it but I don't see Kepa necessarily coming in and and doing a better job than Mendy maybe equal but I feel like at that point you're just destroying Mendy's confidence further so personally I am not so worried about it yes he could have done better on some of the goals that we've conceded but I'm hoping that once the transfer window closes we kind of know hopefully who's going to be with the team what formation more or less we're going to play which defenders will be on the pitch he can get a chemistry with them and hopefully we can start seeing the clean sheets come back yeah no and I think that's a good point and obviously it's always good in a game I know you'd ride our luck a little bit against Leicester but it's always good I think to win with 10 players obviously it gives you that sort of extra three points and hanging on, albeit, you know, towards the end we were hanging on a little bit. It's important, I think, from being 2-0 up to not, even though you had 10 men, to not lose the game or not drop points, and considering the situation Leicester are in. And obviously, I think now it's possible, and there's a bit of spice added to the game in the of the Wesley Fofana situation um, that sort of all came to a bit of a head. And, I, you know, I recorded last week with Sam, and I said on that recording, which we did on Thursday, that it wouldn't surprise me if Fofana got done but it took they waited specifically until Friday afternoon to announce it and to agree to do it so he couldn't play against Leicester because it would have been such a you know political thing for him to play against Leicester and I'm sure when he goes to the King Power he will get a very um interesting reception I think you know considering the receptions that N'Golo Conte got quite a good one, but again, he obviously won the league with them, and that's a little bit different. There was a release clause, and you know, club pounced on it. N'Golo Conte is just such a sweetheart. Like, how could anybody? Exactly. But Ben Chilwell <laughs> got quite a frosty reception, but you know, he did shut them up. I think you know, he got an, he got several assists in that game and played very, very well and shut them up. It'll be very interesting to see how Fafana does. But just your thoughts on the Wesley Fafana transfer. Oh, I am super excited, Rob, about this transfer. He's somebody that I've kind of had my eye on since Leicester signed him. And when, especially when he played against us, but I was thinking, well, what a signing Leicester have. Like, I would love for this guy to play for Chelsea. And Leicester have such a good scouting department that they find these players and they 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 work and then they sell them for massive, um, for, for massive money. And 
um, I would like to see Chelsea doing that, like instead of having the middleman and buying him for a ton of money. But I am super excited about Wesley Fofana. I just had CFC Central on my YouTube channel, and he was giving loads of brilliant insight about the player and how even at 21, he's just so, so good. He's touted as being one of the best upcoming young center backs in the world. So mm. I'm very excited about it. And another interesting point that we talked about was the fact that Wesley Fofana it doesn't look like it from photos, but he's actually 6'3". And for Chelsea, we have been doing really poorly this season at conceding um, from set pieces. So last season, we conceded only four goals from set pieces. This season, we've all already conceded two. And we also lost four of our best six aerial defenders. This is all from CFC Central's article, mm -hmm. so definitely make sure to take a look at it. So they've all gone on loan or have been sold. So we're looking at Rudiger Christensen, um, Marcus Alonso as well. And Wesley Fofana has a very, very good rate um, uh, in his aerial ability. So I think that between his reading of the game, he's very fast despite being uh, very tall, um, being able to help us out with set pieces. I think that he's going to be a brilliant signing for Chelsea and be able to slot right in. And something that might be a little bit underrated, I think, is also that we have like a, a, a back line that speaks French, Barbish, James, and like Kukorea. But the three center backs in Edouard Mendy all speak French. So I feel like that could be useful as well in, in the dressing room in general. Mm. And yeah, I think that's a good point. And I think it's also worth noting that um, one of the players that we'll discuss a bit later, Edson Alvarez, is also, I think, six foot two. Um, so, you know, they're looking for that presence in there. But on the topic of conceding from set pieces, I would argue it's three because I think now we have to dissect the train wreck that was the game against Southampton. Um, now, again, I always have a bit of a soft spot for Southampton because I went to uni in, at uh, the University of Southampton and I used to get down to the St Mary's. I love the ground. Um, I went and saw the Lionesses play there in the summer again. Again, big up to the Lionesses for winning the Euros. Um, again, about the millionth time I've said that this summer. But I always have a bit of a soft spot for them. But at the same time, that means I still want Chelsea to go there and win. Now, every time I've gone to Chelsea and they played at Southampton, I've seen them win. This was the one away trip I haven't done and we've lost. So I've concluded now, next season, I need to ensure I go to the St. Mary's again. So if anyone would like to help me sort our tickets, please let me know, you know, immediately. Um, but obviously, I think it was, you know, a bit of an interesting game because I thought Chelsea started quite well. Um... We should have been several goals up before we scored. We had those good chances. Sterling obviously denied by Arnabella Kotrap. And also he had that effort where he should have shot a lot earlier. He sort of passed it back to Bazunu. But again, we see Sterling get on the score sheet. Um, a good move down the left-hand side involving him, Mount Kukurea. And eventually, I think it's Mount plays the ball inside to Sterling. The initial effort blocked. And then he finishes well the second time. And I think it's fair to say at that point, you were kind of expecting Chelsea to go on take control and, you know, go ahead and win the game. Yeah, it was really strange for me because, like you said, I felt that we played well in the opening, like, 20 or so minutes of the game. And at the time that Chelsea go 1-0 up, you expect them to be able to, at the very least, like, hold on to the lead or go on and score second and really try to kill the game off. And I felt that we did have opportunities to do that. The finishing is another issue. Is like 
continuing theme of of something that we need to work on. And right now it's feeling like if Raheem Sterling doesn't score and Reese James isn't on the pitch, then I don't really know where the um like the attacking outlet really or output comes from. And I think I, I'm not sure what happens that made us just, you know, kind of capitulate and, and concede mm. two goals. Um, and then we just, after we conceded the two goals, we just looked like, like we weren't getting back into the game and, and that the team was just didn't have any answers. Yeah, and I think, you know, again, we have to look at the nature of the goals we conceded and the fact we talked about, you know, self-destruction from a Chelsea point of view. I tweeted at the time and said, I'm not sure we've conceded any goals before this point that weren't due to, you know, complete our own personal self-capitulation or unforced errors. Um, obviously, the first goal comes from, it's a brilliant strike by Romeo Lavia, and I've got no surprise. Lavia is a fantastic player. I've watched a lot of him at youth level. You know, there's a reason why City wanted the buyback clause in there. In a few years' time, he's going to be running their midfield. But what I think was so frustrating was the fact it was such a unforced goal. Obviously, Azpilicueta putting the ball out needlessly for a corner and then quite a poor clearance. Um, I know that hurts because I know you're such a big Azpilicueta fan and you know I am too. But do you think he maybe didn't want to give it back to Mendy because of what happened against Leeds and the fact he's, you know, a bit less certain on Mendy's footwork at the moment and there's that uncertainty? That's that's a really good point, and it's something, you know. I think about it like if I'm not sure if if for example Edward Mendy or any player, um, I mean, imagine I'm a player. Um, if I'm not sure that they're going to be able to deal with the ball and that I might put them into any jeopardy, I think like the quote unquote safe option is to just be safe and concede the corner. Um, so that's a really good point. It's something that I hadn't thought about, but perhaps it could have been going in Aspie's mind. I'm not sure, but I think typically, like teams can defend against corners without too much of an issue. But I just feel like Chelsea this season we've been really, really poor at defending set pieces. So maybe that was arguably the riskier option. Mm. Yeah, no, exactly. I I think that's that's true. And obviously, after that moment, I think we had, you know, a couple of half chances. There was that ZH pass to Kai Harvitz where he should have, you know, done better. But Southampton really did take control. And obviously, they went uh, 2-1 up right before half-time, finished from Armstrong. It was a, you know, decent finish from inside the box following Perez cross. What really frustrated me on this goal was the number of, you know, defensive issues. So I'll start, Mount should have firstly competed better. And if necessary, you should have committed a foul, just taken a foul on the halfway line. You probably weren't going to get booked for it. Jorginho then allows Diallo to run pretty much 40 yards without challenging him. Just pull the guy back, just foul him. Like, I, any defence midfielder, I will not criticise any defence midfielder if they go ahead and they get a tactical foul, they get a yellow card for a tactical foul. It's part of the role. It's part of the role is to be that enforcer, to be dirty, to, you know, do it. Nemanja Matic made a career off of it, being able to, you know, tactically foul people. John McKell as well made a career off tactical fouls, and both of them were brilliant defensive fielders. And then the final one, Aspilicueta again, unfortunately, tucking in, and I think it was because he's used to being playing at centre-back at the moment, tucking in so far, which gave Perro basically freedom of the wing to pull a cross-back. Pulled a decent cross-back. Again, Koulibaly tried to get a block in, couldn't get in the way. Can't blame Mendy for this one. But what was most concerning for me is at that point, you never really felt after that Chelsea were ever going to come back in the game. 
They never really looked like coming back, save maybe a five-minute spell after Broya came on, where Broya ruffled up the defence a little bit. Yeah, and even in the, I don't know, the last 15, 20 minutes of the game, Southampton, I felt like, had more of the ball and they had more possession. And they looked like the ones that needed a goal and they were going trying to get a third and they almost did. Uh, and I think that's what's most frustrating because as a fan, you just want to see your team like leave everything on the pitch. And I just felt like they were out of ideas. I know we have a lot of injuries, but it, it, it's just feeling like, okay, I don't know where the goals are going to come from. And I also don't know if we're going to be able to stop the goals from coming in. And we're just struggling like in both areas of the pitch right now. Mm. And yeah, I think that's interesting. And I think, you know, I, I'm i a big fan of Mason Mount. I think Kai Havertz is a very good player. But I do think at the moment, you need to look at taking both of them out the firing line because neither of them are performing. And I think you need to give a chance to Broya. And that was my one crumb of comfort, I think, from the game, is that Broya came on and looked a real presence, obviously had a point to prove against his old lone side, did come on really, you know, made some good runs in behind, was unlucky, you know, not to get on the end of a couple of crosses against West Ham at the weekend, who we know are also going to be quite a physical, strong side. They've got, you know, big players at the back, people like Kurt Zuma, for example, who, you know, we know what he can do from his time at Chelsea. Would you consider starting Armando Broya? I think based off of his cameo, he should be starting this match. Um, I understood not... I understood sticking with Kai Havertz and Mason Mount for the first couple of games. Why? Because I think Broya had an injury anyways, yeah. so he wouldn't have been able to play. And then you have other options. Um, Christian Pulisic, Hakim Ziyech, obviously Callum left on loan. But those are two names that, well, at the time of recording, anything could happen. But they have been linked with wanting moves away from Chelsea. So I can kind of understand giving time to players who you know like are 100% going to be here this season and maybe their heads aren't totally mm. in it. Yeah. Um, but I think that that's going to be a big factor. Hopefully that will help us. And Thomas Tuchel kind of spoke about that in his press conference that we have a lot of players that we don't know what their future is going to be. We don't know who else is going to be coming in. We don't know if they're going to be leaving and their future is up in the air. And I imagine that that must be really hard. Um, but looking at the West Ham game, so the transfer window would have closed. That's going to be sorted. If Christian Pulisic and Hakim Ziyech don't get moves away, well, then they have they have a contract with Chelsea, and they need to. It's in their best interest to give everything that they can and play the best that they can. So going back to your question, I think yeah, maybe we do see Mason Mount and Guy Havertz benched in this game, take them out of the limelight a bit, but hopefully. Um, Armando Broyan, whoever starts, whether that be Hakeem Ziyech or Christian Pulisic, uh, creates create something and then and then it will create a healthy competition and hopefully we can see Havertz and Mal getting back to their best as well. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. And again, looking ahead to that West Ham game, um, obviously I think a few questions to ask. Number one, do we keep the or do we go back to the three at the back? Or do we keep the four? Oh, guys, um, this question is haunting me because I I really don't know because I feel like each formation kind of fits different players and that's kind of the issue that we have at Chelsea right now is that we have all of these players from different managers that were brought in for different formations and systems and they all have strengths and weaknesses so I feel like in a back three you 
you play to the strengths of certain players like Jorginho, for example, maybe Thiago Silva. Um, but then with our attackers, it seems like they work better in uh, back four to have like a four three three and have and have like. Uh, midfielders and you know somebody like Mason Mount who wouldn't who would play as a midfielder and not as winger. Um, I think, well, depending if we sign a DM, that could potentially help us out with the four three three because I think that Jorginho can't play in that position and he really needs a partner. So um, and he really hasn't had a partner because Nicolo Conte has been out injured, Kovacic is just coming back from injury, and the likes of Ruben Loftus-Chief, Conor Gallagher, really, that's not their position. Mm. But I I think I, I think that we have to go for something and stick with it, whether it's a 4-3-3 or a 3-4-2-1 or whatever we want to play. But I think that we kind of have to go back to basics. When Tuchel came in, the first thing he did was, okay, I'm going to sturdy up the defense. And right now the defense is once again leaking goals. So I would kind of focus on that. That's where we've made the majority of our signings. I think we'll probably go back to uh, back three slash five. And I think we'll see Reese James, Fofana, Thiago Silva, Koulibaly, and Kukorea. And I think that that's a pretty strong back line, which also has the dynamic wingbacks in Kukurea and Reese James and kind of build off of that. That's where I'm leaning at least, but I really need to see more and see which players we get in. Obviously, we're recording before deadline day, so maybe when this episode comes out, we already know. <laughs> yeah, no, of course. Um, and I think it's worth also noting that, would you give Wesley Fafana his debut? Yes. <laughs> without I would um I think he'll have so he trained yesterday I believe so he'll have Wednesday Thursday Friday three days of training he already played for Leicester in the opening games of the season he obviously then wasn't training with the first team um and I think well I'm not sure if it seems like Chalaba, I don't know, from what I've seen, should be staying. Um, maybe you start him. I don't think that Aspilicueta starts after the game um, against Southampton. So I think it's probably between Chalaba and Fofana, but Fofana was brought into play in that position. So I personally would give Fofana his debut. Mm. Yeah, that's fair. So I think now we have to, again, on the topic of transfers, we obviously are on deadline day right now. Um, the key name is Edson Alvarez uh, from Ajax, a Mexican defence midfielder who the club seemed to have sprung for after the fact that Loftus-Cheek looked like he picked up an injury against um, Southampton. We've obviously got the injury to Conte. Jorginho has been struggling on his own in the midfield. Mateo Kovacic isn't fully fit. There doesn't seem to be a place for Billy Gilmore in Thomas Tuchel's system. Uh, Ross Barkley has now left the club. Um, so, in terms of Alvarez, the defence midfielder, do you think that, you know, just signing a defence midfielder will paper over a lot of the cracks, or do you think it's a more fundamental issue? I hope so. <laughs> um, I feel like that's been a profile that we've been missing in our team for a couple of years, and typically I think when Nicolo Conte is on the pitch, he covers the need because Nicolo Conte is basically like two players. He's like an extra player. Um, he's just such a cheat code. But the and we saw that for Spurs. Like I don't think it's a coincidence that we had our best game of the season when Nicolo Conte was on the pitch. Uh, um, 
the problem with Conte is that he's shown over the past couple of seasons that he's getting more and more injury prone and we can't rely on him week in, week out. And I think that we're going to have to pick and choose the specific games that he plays. Kovacic as well has been pretty injury prone. I feel like every couple of months he's picking up something. Ruben Loftus-Cheek as well. And like you said, Jorginho can't can play that position on his own. He really needs... Um, a partner in that midfield. So I think just by having a DM so that he can sniff out the danger, make sure, you know, to just block attacks because right now I feel like the midfield is getting sliced through like butter and it's far too easy for teams to just cut from from their half of the pitch to, to go and attack the final third. So I think that that, by signing a DM, Hopefully that will help loads of our issues. Sure. No, that makes total sense. And again, I don't think either of them will happen, but I have to ask your question on them. If you could choose one between Rafael Leal or Neymar, who do you pick and why? Oh, God. I don't, Neither I will don't happen. Know, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know. Um. Like, part of me is like, how do you say no to Neymar? But then I'm like, uh, I wonder, like, how that could affect the dressing room and all of that. So, but I feel like people are going to be like, how do you not choose Neymar? I don't know. Um, uh, I'd probably go for Leal. I don't know. That's just my gut decision. What about you? Uh, my, my pick would be Leal as well for age and also for the fact he's so direct as a player. However, there is some sort of ethereal quality about Neymar. I mean, Chelsea got very, very close to signing Neymar in 2012 and 2013, and it only didn't happen because they wouldn't pay his sort of family's ridiculous agent fees that were involved in the deal. And this was before he even joined Barcelona. So, you know, hypothetically, his career could have gone a completely different path. But I don't think PSG will let him go this late. I, I wouldn't be surprised if we did do something absolutely bonkers on the final day of the window, just because it's new owners and Someone, again, my best source did tell me that Todd Bowley was treating this day like a bit like draft day and that, you know, the aim was to get the biggest headlines and to get, you know, the sort of biggest splash and to get the most media coverage. So something surprising might happen. Um, but I'd be I'd be more surprised. I think it's more likely to be Aubameyang and be uh, Edson Alvarez. There is interest in Ibrahim Sangare as well, but I think he's probably more of a backup option. I think Gilmore wants to try and go. Ampadu, I can't remember if his loan's been announced, but he should go. Alonso, you know, should be involved in the Aubameyang deal, all things considered. Uh, there's a couple of youngsters that should go out on loan. But I think, you know, Chelsea ideally want to get two in, but, you know, if they can get more than two, they won't be against it. Maybe you want to see actual Pulisic will leave, but I think it's quite late in the window for that to happen. If that happened, Chelsea would probably want a replacement. But with all of that said and done, it is now time for the quiz. So... Oh, <laughs> To run you over the rules, you're going to have 90 seconds to answer five questions. If you don't know the answer to a question, you can skip it and we can come back at it at the end. For each question you get right, you get a point. And for each remaining time at the end, there's a point. There's points for the remaining time at the end. Incorrect answers yield a deduction in points. So And so you can't just go through and say, you know, the wrong answer for everything. For example, if you answer toaster every single question just to get through it in 30 seconds flat, you will not win. And uh, at the end of the year, the top prize will win a very special prize and the bottom prize will have a very special forfeit. So the aim is just to not be bottom of the leaderboard, but uh, ideally be top. No <laughs> but you'll be absolutely fine. I'll do the timing for you. Take a deep breath. <laughs> okay. 
Are you are you sitting comfortably? You guys can see my face. I'm bright red. Like I'm so bad at trivia. You're gonna be fine. Deep, deep breath. Deep breath. It's fine. I have to take your first answer as well, so just be aware. No worries. No right. worries. Okay. So are you ready? Yeah. On three, two, one. Which Chelsea player scored the first goal of the 2021-2022 Premier League season? Um, Mason Mount? Nope, the correct answer was Marcus Alonso. No way. Okay, what is that? <laughs> Question two. Which club did Cesar Espelicueta start his professional career at? His professional career? Um, I know he came from Marseille, but... Uh, I don't know. Right, I'm, so, that, I should have gotten that. Marseille is my answer, but I know it's not. It's not Marseille. It's Osasuna. He joined Marseille from Osasuna. Uh, Question uh, three. I should have known that. Damn how, it. how many times has Jose Mourinho won the Football League Cup at Chelsea? The Football League Cup? Yeah, yeah Football League Cup. So the what you know as the Carabao Cup or the um, Carling Cup, various sponsors. Two. It's three. How many how many permanent players did Chelsea sign on deadline day 2021? 2021 yeah, on deadline day. Yeah, permanent players. Who did we bring? How much time do I have left, bro? You've got nine <laughs> seconds. Uh, I'm gonna say zero. It is zero, is correct. And finally, yeah! how many goals did Chelsea concede in the 04-05 season? Fifteen. That's correct. And that's literally yes. on the timer. So with two correct answers and three incorrect answers and zero seconds left, you get a grand score of 20, which oh puts you, it currently puts you second in the leaderboard of yes. three people. <laughs> I, I, I'm happy with that. I, I'm pissed that I didn't get the ask. I knew it was a Spanish team, but I blanked. I blanked. And you said Osasuna. I was like, oh, you're worried yeah. it was Osasuna. Damn it. Yeah. Um, Again, oh four, my god, I can't believe I got two. I'm four, very happy with that. So four was the red herring question because it was how many permanent players. Obviously, Saul came in on loan, but a loan deal was not a permanent deal. So that was the that was the red yeah, herring. I but you managed to you, you managed to beat the outside king. But anyway, I know that we're both very busy people. I know I've got to go do an appalling amount of streams now because it's deadline day. And yeah, you know, I'm sure pray for me is the best way I can describe it. But before we go, do you want to let everyone know where they can find you on? social media. I'm going to pre-warn you, everyone that follows me already will follow you, so you're not probably going to get huge gains out of this, but... No, uh, sure, so um, if you don't follow me already, I'm basically on every social media platform. My name is Elizabeth Helenek. On Twitter, I'm at Ellie Helenek, Ellie underscore Helenek, because um, Twitter just didn't allow me to put my full name by one character. Uh, I also have a YouTube channel, Elizabeth Helenek, on, and I'm on Instagram and TikTok as well, and I post like tons of short form videos on there. And yeah, that's it. Rob, thanks so much for having me. This was a lot of fun. Yeah, no, it was great fun. It, probably the first time we've actually done content together in about a year now, because the last time I remember was when we were discussing Sahinio Des and uh, Sahinio Des' loan deal, which was seems a long, long time ago. That's Maybe January, it was pre-sanctions. Yeah. Oh, God, it's a, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like a long time ago. thing on January. Yeah, yeah. Long, long oh, time man. ago. But it's well, been always an absolute pleasure. Again, 
I, uh, I'm sure I'll have you back on at some point later on this season. I'll see if you can get higher than your score of two in the quiz. Um, uh, no, I'm very happy with that. <laughs> retiring with <laughs> honours. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, it's been absolutely great fun. I will have another fantastic guest back with me next week to review the West Ham game and also look at our opening Champions League game next week, uh, which will prove to be interesting. But yeah, the, this has been Rob Prattley. This has been Believe at Chelsea. And I am now signing off. Have a great day.